Welcome to Whose Podcast Is It Anyway? A show where our host engages in a lively conversation with the guest. The guest chooses the topic and the host has no prior preparation or knowledge of the topic. Please note that the opinions expressed on this program are the opinions and views of the host and the guests and are not necessarily the same opinions and views of Al Seeger or Point of Insanity Game Studio. And now, here's your host, Chad Knight. Good evening and welcome to Whose Podcast Is It Anyway? I'm your host, Chad Knight, and let's get right to it. Welcome to my mind mare. And in this segment, as you all know, I spend a little bit of time talking to you about what's going on in my life or what's weighing on my mind at the moment. And right now, my moment, or right now in this moment, my mind is kind of empty. So I'm just going to use this as a little plug for a couple things here. First thing I'm going to talk about is Evercon. Um, Evercon 2017, which is January 6th, 7th, and 8th of 2017. We are at the Central Wisconsin Expo and Convention Center, which uh, for any of you that live in the area, the Wassa area, know it uh, probably as the Patriot Center, but it's been renamed. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a three-day convention. There's a uh, um, Everything is open at this point. We're looking for volunteers. Um, if you volunteer enough hours, you get a free badge for the weekend. We're looking for game masters to run board games, role-playing games, card games, uh, double dutch. I don't care. Just come out. You know, run something. We we want to give people a wide variety of things that we're doing. Um, we're also going this year, um, for the first year in Evercon's history, uh, this is the 17th Evercon. Um, we are going to actually be part of the Badger State uh, Winter Games. We are going to have a few offerings of things that um, you can actually come out, uh, win a badge uh, from the Badger State Games. So that'll be kind of cool. Um, I don't have any of the details on that yet, other than it's happening. We're still working through those with the uh, with the people there, so that's kind of cool. And the last thing is, early registration is open. That means you can go out to the website, www.evercon.org. You can click on the um, going to the event, uh, click on there, buy your badge for the weekend. You can buy your t-shirt at that time. So uh, get out there, uh, sign up, get your things, uh, get your things in there, volunteer, run something. It'll be a blast, I guarantee it. All right, the other new thing that I'm going to be talking about here tonight is, I'm sure most people that know me know that I have tattoos. If you don't know me, you've never seen them, because they don't, you know, I I, I work in a job where I can't have tattoos all up and down my forearms or on my neck or anything like that, but I do have four tattoos. I'm getting my fifth tattoo on Monday, so I'm kind of excited about that, um... And this is the first one, actually, that's going to be just words. Um, I've got, uh, you know, I've got like my family crest and that's got the name under it, but that's the only words I really have. I've got the, I've got the, uh, the, uh, for some reason, the seemingly must have Superman tattoo that every guy at the age of 18 gets. I got that. Um, I've got a armband of dice since I'm a big nerd. And then I have half my back is also done. Um, it's done actually, and now we're going to really talk nerdy here is, um, back in the day I played Dungeons and Dragons second edition. I had a gray elf that, uh, survived through an entire campaign. He was, um, an outcast cause the gray elves tend to be these really snooty people. And he was outcast for being both a thief and a tattoo artist. And so I have his crest tattooed on my back. Um, so it really doesn't get any nerdier than that when it comes to tattoos. I mean, so, uh, but my newest one, um, if a lot of people know, I'm a big, uh, HP Lovecraft fan. So from one of his, uh, one of his, um, short stories called the call of Cthulhu, um, there is a small little piece of, um, poetry in there and it's, uh, well, I'll read it to you and then you can decide what it means. I know what it means to me. I don't want to spend the whole time ignoring my guest and talking about Lovecraft. So um, it is going to say, That is not dead, which can eternal lie, and with strange eons, even death may die. So there you go. Um, I'd say it's a sneak peek, but this isn't coming out for about three weeks. I will be long gone and have the tattoo by then. So 
but uh, that's what's on my mind, and that's what the that's what the point of this whole segment is is to talk about me. Um, because later on we talk about the guest, or at least what the guest wants to talk about. All right, uh, into segment two this week in history. And again, I like to put out there that I get all my history uh, bits and bobs from www.history.com slash this day in history. Um, let's start off with September 16th. That would be tonight. Um, by the way, it is September 16th. It is episode eight. Um, so let's get into this. So September 16th, 1932, Gandhi becomes, I'm sorry, Gandhi begins fast in protest of caste separation. On this day in 1932, in his cell at Yervada Jail near Bombay, Mohandas Gandhi begins a hunger strike in protest of the British government's decision to separate India's electoral system by caste. A leader in the Indian campaign for home rule, Gandhi worked, out, worked all his life to spread his own brand of passive resistance across India and the world. Jailed by the British government from 1922 to 1924, he withdrew from political action for a time during the 1920s, but in 1930 returned with a new civil disobedience campaign. The British made concessions to his demands and invited him to represent the Indian National Congress Party at the Roundtable Conference in London. After his return to India in January 1932, Gandhi wasted no time beginning another civil disobedience campaign, for which he was jailed yet again. Eight months later, Gandhi announced he was beginning a fast unto death in order to protest British support of the new Indian constitution, which gave the country's lowest classes, known as the untouchables, their own separate political representation for a period of 70 years. This is a God-given opportunity that has come to me, Gandhi said from his prison cell in Yervada, to offer my life as a final sacrifice to the downtrodden. Though other public figures in India, including Dr. Bahamro Ramaji Ambedkar, <laughs> the official political representative of the Untouchables, had questioned Gandhi's true commitment to the lower classes. His six-day fast ended after the British government accepted the principal terms of a settlement between higher caste Indians and the Untouchables that reversed the separation decision. As India slowly moved towards independence, Gandhi's influence only grew. He continued to resort to the hunger strike as a method of resistance, knowing the British government would not be able to withstand the pressure of the public's concern for the man they called Mahatma, or Great Soul. On January 12, 1948, Gandhi undertook his last successful fast in New Delhi to persuade Hindus and Muslims in, their, in that city that, to work towards peace. On January 30th, less than two weeks after breaking that fast, he was assassinated by a Hindu extremist on his way to an evening prayer meeting. So, I've always been a big admirer of Gandhi's. He did a lot for the people of India. He did a lot to break that country away from the rule of Great Britain. Um, and this just kind of highlights some of those things that he did. Uh, it kind of makes you think about you know, what he called his passive resistance. You know, he he would resist and he would take whatever punishments were given to him for his resistance to the government. And, but in all that, he remained passive about it. He didn't fight back um, in, a, in a conventional way. There were no guns. There were no knives. There were no anything like that. Gandhi knew the repercussions of what he was going to do, and he did them anyway. So that, to me makes for a really, and I guess I can use the word great here, a great person, a great leader in in causes of social distress. All right, so let's move on to the next one, which is much shorter, I promise you. Um, and it's a little more of a happy kind of thing. So on September 12, 1940, the Lascaux cave paintings are discovered. Near Montagnac, I'm probably saying that wrong, France, a collection of prehistoric cave paintings are discovered by four teenagers who stumble upon the ancient artwork after following their dog down a narrow entrance into a cavern. The 15,000 to 17,000 year old paintings, consisting mostly of animal representations, are among the finest examples of art from the upper Pale Paleolithic period, first studied by a French archaeologist, the Lascaux Grotto, 
consists of a main cavern, 66 feet wide and 16 feet high. The walls of the cavern are decorated with some 660 painted and drawn animals and symbols and nearly 1,500 engravings. The pictures depicted depict in excellent detail numerous types of animals, including horses, red deer, stags, bovines, felines, and what appear to be mythical creatures. There is only one human figure depicted in the cave, a bird-headed man with an erect phallus. Archaeologists believe that the cave was used over a long period of time as a center for hunting and religious rites. The Lascaux Grotto was opened to the public in 1948, but was closed in 1963 because artificial lights had faded the vivid colors of the paintings and caused algae to grow over some of them. A replica of the Lascaux Cave was opened nearby in 1983 and receives tens of thousands of visitors annually. All right, so just a little piece of our history as the human race. Um, these paintings, they I know they've done a lot for archaeology and what we've learned about ancient man from these. Um, so, I mean, it's just a cute little, uh, cute little, neat little story I have there. Um, which brings me on to my final story for the week, and I'm sorry, this one's going to be long, um, and it may be emotional to some of you, so um, I'm going to talk, I'm going to read and talk about the attack on America from September 11th, 2001. First, I'll read the article I have, then I will discuss it, and uh, maybe Mike will jump in on this one, and we can, because I know Mike you are old enough to remember that, yes? Yes, I was uh, in college at the time. Yeah, so was I. So, um, all right, let's uh, let's go ahead here. At 8.45 a.m. on a clear Tuesday morning, an American Airlines Boeing 767 loaded with 20,000 gallons of jet fuel crashes in the North Tower of the World Trade Center in New York City. The impact left a gaping, burning hole near the 80th floor of the 110-story skyscraper instantly killing hundreds of people and trapping hundreds more in high air floors. As the evacuation of the tower and its twin got underway, television camera broadcasted live images of what initially appeared to be a freak accident. Then, 18 minutes after the first plane hit, a second Boeing 767 United Airlines Flight 175 appeared out of the sky, turned sharply towards the World Trade Center, and sliced into the South Tower at about the 60th floor. The collision caused a massive explosion that showered burning debris over surrounding buildings and the streets below. America was under attack. The attackers were Islamic terrorists from Saudi Arabia and other and several other Arab nations. Reportedly financed by Saudi fugitive Osama bin Laden's Al Qaeda, Al, Al, help me with this one, Al Qaeda, Al. Anyway, his terrorist organization, they were allegedly acting in retaliation for America's support of Israel, its involvement in the Persian Gulf War, and its continued military presence in the Middle East. Some of the terrorists have lived in the United States for more than a year and had taken flying lessons at American commercial flight schools. Others had slipped into the U.S. in the months before September 11th and acted as the muscle in the operation. The 19 terrorists easily smuggled box cutters and knives to the security at three East Coast airports and boarded four flights bound for California. Chosen because the planes were loaded with fuel for a long transcontinental journey, soon after takeoff, the terrorists commandeered the four planes and took the controls, transforming the ordinary computer jets into guided missiles. As millions watched in horror the events unfolding in New York, America Airlines Flight 77 circled over downtown Washington and slammed into the west side of the Pentagon, military headquarters at 9.45 a.m. Jet fuel from the Boeing 757 caused a devastating inferno that led to a structure collapse of the portion of the giant concrete building. All told, 125 military personnel and civilians were killed in the Pentagon, along with all 64 people aboard the airliner. Less than 15 minutes after the terror struck the nerve center of the U.S. military, the horror in New York took a catastrophic turn for the worse when the South Tower of the World Trade Center collapsed in a massive cloud of dust and smoke. The structural steel of the skyscraper, built to withstand winds in excess of 200 miles per hour and a large conventional fire, could not withstand the tremendous heat generated by the burning jet fuel. At 10.30 a.m., the other Trade Center tower collapsed. Close to 3,000 people died in the World Trade Center, 
and its vicinity, including a staggering 343 firefighters and paramedics, 23 New York City police officers, and 37 Port Authority police officers who were struggling to complete an evacuation of the buildings and save the office workers trapped on higher floors. Only six people in the World Trade Center towers at the time of their collapse survived. Almost 10,000 other people were treated for injuries, many severe. Meanwhile, a fourth California-bound plane, flight, United Flight 93, was hijacked about 40 minutes after leaving Newark International Airport in New Jersey. Because the plane had been delayed in taking off, passengers on board learned of events in New York and Washington via cell phone and air phone calls to the ground. Knowing that the aircraft was not returning to an airport as the hijackers, claim, as the hijackers claimed, a group of passengers and flight attendants planned an insurrection. One of the passengers, Thomas Burnett Jr., told his wife over the phone that, I know we're all going to die. There's three of us who are going to do something about it. I love you, honey. Another passenger, Todd Beamer, was heard saying, Are you guys ready? Let's roll, over an open line. Sandy Bradshaw, a flight attendant, called her husband and explained that she had slipped into a galley and was filling pitchers with boiling water. Her last two words to him were, Everyone's running to first class. I've got to go. Bye. The passengers fought the four hijackers and are suspected and are and are suspected to have attacked the cockpit with a fire extinguisher. The plane then flipped over and sped toward the ground upwards of 500 miles per hour, crashing in a rural field in western Pennsylvania at 10:10 10, 10 a.m. All 45 people aboard were killed. Its intended target is not known, but theories include the White House, the U.S. Capitol the Camp David Presidential Retreat in Maryland, or one of several nuclear power plants along the eastern seaboard. At 7 p.m., President George W. Bush, who had spent the day being shuttled around the country because of security, security concerns, returned to the White House. At 9 p.m., he delivered a televised address from the Oval Office declaring, Terrorist attacks can shake the foundations of our biggest buildings, but they cannot touch the foundation of America. These acts shatter steel, but they cannot dent the steel of American resolve. In a reference to the eventual U.S. military response, he declared, We will make no distinction between the terrorists who committed these acts and those who harbor them. Operation Enduring Freedom, the U.S.-led international effort to oust the Taliban regime in Afghanistan and destroy Osama bin Laden's terrorist network based there, began on October 7, 2001. Bin Laden was killed during a raid of his compound in Pakistan by U.S. forces on May 2nd, 2011. All right, there's a lot to take in there. I mean, that's, I mean, it was hard for me to read, and I'm sure it's hard for some of you to listen to it. And if anybody listening to this lost someone there or knows someone that was lost there, I, I, I don't read this um, in any way to diminish um, what happened there. I don't read this in any way to raise up the people that did this. It's just, it's a, it's a piece of history. It's, it's very close to me. Um, I was in college at the time I was, uh, in between classes and I had, um, some friends that were in a uh, graphic arts class and, uh, up in the front of the room, it looked like somebody had created a well, to me, it looked like somebody had created a, a, you know, a possibility, like planes flying into the Twin Towers. I had no idea what was going on at the time, so I kind of stepped in. And it was at that point that I realized, you know, this wasn't the normal class. Everybody was quiet and, and reserved, and they're just all sitting there staring at the TV. And that's when it actually hit me that, you know, this was going on. And the first thing I thought about was my wife and kids. Um, at that point... I, uh, I had a, about a one and a half year old and I had an eight week old. So my only thought was it was no longer school that day. Let's just put it that way. I went home right away cause I didn't know what was going on. Um, you know, uh, Mike, you said you were in college at the time. What do you remember about it? I was in freshman English 101 at the time. Um, and just the, the sheer, horror that we all kind of just didn't know what to do the, the, the dumbfoundedness almost yeah because just... i mean america being attacked you know we were raised at least i was and i'm sure you were that after the cold war there was nobody that mm -hmm. could touch us 
you know, and, and maybe part of that smugness is what allowed this to happen. But, you know, that's, that's a, that's a different discussion for a different day for a different podcast. But, um, yeah, I, I remember it. I, it's one of those things, you know, they say every generation has their moment. And I think, unfortunately, our generation has had two with, with, uh, with 9-11 and also with the, the Oklahoma City bombing. So, anyway, let's move on to better, bigger, nicer, hopefully more fun things. Well, it's going to be more fun either way. Um, so, my guest today is, is Michael Harbert. Uh, or how do you say your last name? You got it right. Yeah, I did, did. Harbert. Okay. Yeah. All right. So um, I'm going to probably call him Mike throughout the whole thing because that's really <laughs> how I know him. Um, Mike, I I don't know. How long have I known you now? Maybe a couple of years? Probably going on that, yeah. Yeah, a couple yeah. of years now. Mike and I, um, like I said, uh, this, this block of shows I'm doing right now seem to be my uh, Sunday night gaming group. Um, so Mike is one of those guys, and that's how I met him. Um, now, I, I guess every week... The prior week, I guess what my my uh, guest the next week is going to talk about. And, well, I know you for what you do for a living. <laughs> so I said, we're going to talk about swimming or some aspect of swimming. So what I'm going to ask you to do, Mike, first is to introduce yourself. Tell us what you do in uh, what I call the real world. And then um, you can let us know uh, if I was right or not. So... Yeah, so I the real world, my real life is I work for the Y, and, and Chad is very correct. I'm um, a senior aquatic director. That's probably my primary responsibility. So I'm in water a lot. Um, I do a lot of officiating and swimming and things like that. Um, but I don't think I can make it that easy for him, you know. So I, I nobody I, ever does. It's all right. <laughs> so I mean, I know I can I can talk about swimming probably for hours, which is great. But um, no, I think Chad and I have some other other connections and some other uh, things that are kind of maybe the same and one of those happens to be our kind of our thought on the current political situation in oh, 2016. Oh, somebody did it. Somebody brought up politics. Yeah, I was going to do it. What the heck? Hey, now it's great. It's great. All right. So a couple times a couple shows ago you talked about your political background a little bit. I how, did and how it how it's, it's it's progressed and I kind of thought of myself as a progression also. So Right, my my political and if you haven't listened to that podcast i don't know what number it is but as my friends at gaming and bs always say go back to number one and listen through and you'll find it so anyway uh so just give you a quick background my political affiliation has never been to any one you know i've never carried a card i've never said i'm this i'm that i'm you know um when i when i first started voting which would have been during the second um bill clinton um uh, run. I voted for Bill Clinton. I thought he was a good president. I didn't necessarily agree with his personal life, but you know, I always look at it as it, it's politics. Now, in his personal life, if he didn't know how to balance a checkbook, that's a little different than you know his his issues with with his married life, which they seem to have gotten over. We haven't heard about Bill Clinton diddling anybody for a while. Not yet. Well, <laughs> so I started out very, uh, very liberal, very, um, I was, uh, you know, very liberal. Then after Clinton came, uh, George Bush senior or whatever you want to call him, George Bush 42. And he was not at all what I thought a president should be. So when the next run came around, I, um, I voted for, um, who would that have been? Who was the next president? Now I'm drawing a blank here. Bush. Bush ran for twice, but he'd run again. So you're right. Yeah. Um, um, but anyway, I went, I went Democrat again. So I had voted for George Bush senior. Didn't think he did what I thought a president should do. So then on the next one, I voted for, uh, the, uh, God, I can't believe this. We're going to talk politics and can't remember the, but anyway, so I, I voted Democrat for that one. And, uh, yeah, you can use your phone, Mike. That's fine if you want to find out who it is. Um, and then George Bush Sr. ran, or uh, Jr., George H.W., or no, George W., not H.W. George W. ran, and um, I had had enough of the Democrats by then, and he made the most sense to me, so I voted for him. And then by the end of his eight years, I was like, what the hell did he do? 
And then I voted for Obama the first time around. And by the end of his first term, I was like, what the hell did he do? I mean, between those two presidents, regardless of your affiliation, they took our national debt and... Sort it. Sort it. Oh, my God. It, it just got huge. So then when Obama's second term came around, I didn't vote for him, but he did win. And um, after that, this upcoming... Now we got the upcoming election. And I'm honestly not voting for... Either side of the aisle. Um, I, I mentioned this on the last one. You know, I, uh, I'm i very strongly right now behind uh, Gary Johnson, who is the libertarian. There are caveats to that, of course. I mean, but we'll see how that all plays out. So, how does that, how does that you know, go well, along with... My, mine's similar. I mean, I guess I was, um, you know, you talked about when you were younger in, in your last podcast about... You know, the, the family values were very Democratic and mine were very Republican. So that's kind of how I started. Okay. okay. You know, and, and, you know, when you go to your, when you're 18 or 19 and voting in your first you presidential election, your you, dad you, tells you, you, to. you vote for what, you know, you've been hearing for all those years. Um, and then. I mean, honestly, when you, when you vote for that first time, you're just so damned excited yes. to be able to vote. Yes, exactly. That you're like, I vote for a Snicker bar if I. <laughs> you're like, give me the sticker. I want to wear the sticker. That's yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right, go on. Um, so then, um, you know, the, the thing that, that turned me the most would be Wisconsin politics a little bit and our current governor. And when Act 10 came through at that time, I was a, I was a public education teacher. And so I definitely took that one hard. Um, okay, with, so with give, us, going give on. us give us a quick background of what Act 10 so is. So Act 10 in, in the state of Wisconsin, it. It stripped collective bargaining rights from public sector workers. Basically, is is what the just was. And it was it was the union busting. The, the union busting bill is, is how they refer to it usually. And you know, for me, it wasn't about the money. It wasn't about those kinds of things. You know, we could talk about health insurance premiums and blah 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 all, all day. I mean, that's that's anywhere com- any company you go to. But for me, it was the whole idea that you know, we're going to take away your rights to even like have a conversation about what things should look like in, in your district, in your school, that kind of local control being removed and having the teachers and the administrators being on the same team. And so now we put them on opposite sides again. Right. And, right. and I think that's uh that was, that was the biggest part. And if you talk to most educators that have some sort of background and knowledge of finance and all that, I think they would agree with me that, you know, okay, we have to give some concessions on retirement and insurance. Let's talk about that and let's see how that can happen. But it was the way it was kind of done and the, and the way it was. And so that really turned me into this more, I want to say, probably more independent, more looking more broadly at things right. instead of looking at party lines. Because I think there are good sides to, to people on, on both ends. Um, sometimes it is picking the lesser of the two, two evils, which is where I feel we're at right now. But, you know, my hope is that maybe this is the time that we can find somebody who's a little bit more middle of the road. Because our current two, I think, are... The extreme ends of of both parties. I, yeah, really, I, mean, I, I, I don't even think they're they're middle of the road in any <laughs> in any real respect right now, no, which and, concerns me. Right, and I mean, you know, Bill Clinton, who is obviously the uh, husband of the runner for the Democratic Party, Hillary, was very more was a lot more centric mm-hmm. than Hillary is. Hillary is very far to the left, and um, Donald Trump who's better known on this podcast is Cheeto <laughs> Jesus is very much. I don't even know if I'd call him to the right. He's very much got his own He's... theories about just about everything, you know, and he is a league of his own. I, I really, I really, <laughs> really, you can't lump him. You can go back through all the presidents history and I can't even compare anybody. No, that I, would even get close to, to no, him. I mean, as far as his, his ability to stump and that kind of stuff, you could kind of relate them to like maybe a Teddy Roosevelt or something like that. You know, very, very forceful. Very, mm-hmm. But Teddy Roosevelt was not insane. <laughs> At least as far as what I've read throughout history, he was not. I, I didn't know him. I'm not that old. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he, he didn't build any walls through our countries. You as know? Far, yeah, yeah. But, you know, they both. And, and I say this about everybody is. If you care enough about your country to run for these you know, obviously you're doing what you think is best for the country. Right. Now, the problem with that is, is there's 315 million other people you have to convince that what you're doing is best for the country. That's correct. And I don't think either of them have convinced a majority of any of us. Yeah. Um, which is he... why I started looking third party 
Um, and I don't know how you feel about third parties. I mean, I, I hate the term. It's a wasted vote. To me, if I vote for Clinton or I vote for Trump, I'm wasting my vote because I'm voting for somebody I don't want as president. Right. So. I guess, you know, the, the big thing is, is the, the news came down very recently that he's, Johnson's not going to be in the first debate. And that. Well, yeah, they're still fighting. They're for still that. fighting, which, which I, I guess And they've is got a, a little thing. bit of time because they got till the 26th, Sixth, I believe. Yeah. So, you know, I guess that's that's the bigger thing is, is what does he, what is what does he got to do? How does he get in that? Or, or where, you know, if you were his campaign manager, how do you direct him? I mean, that's, well, and see, that's, that's the thing. The, the problem is, is the commission that says yes or no, he's going to have that third podium is strongly influenced by both the Republicans and the Democrats. And they, they, they work together. I mean, that 15% is, is an insane number it when is. you really think about it. Um, they work together to keep this a two-party system. You know, they don't worry too much about the, the, the low levels. Like, you know, city government, you see independence all the mm -hmm. time. Even state governments, governments yeah. you can see independence all the time. But you get beyond that. When you get to that national, they don't want anything to do with the independents. So they set these, in my opinion, these unreasonably high um, benchmarks. Benchmarks, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, 15% in five polls. Which doesn't sound like much. I mean, fifteen percent. At fifteen percent, is he going to win the the um, the presidency? Most likely not. At fifteen percent, I mean, how much money does that take? I mean, you look at the amount of money that's spent on on just on becoming a president, just just to becoming a, a candidate for mm -hmm. president. It's in, I mean, it's it's numbers that. I mean, yes, I can I can hear, you know, one million dollars or I can hear one billion dollars. And yes, there's there's some sort of well, maybe I understand what that is, but really It's money I you no, and I will never have. We'll, we'll never, never have, have and we'll never understand it. Yeah. We really don't understand it. I mean, when they say the co the country is thirteen billion or a trillion dollars in debt, that's a lot of money. That's a lot but of money. <laughs> what does it really mean? I mean, <laughs> do you have any idea what thirteen trillion dollars is? I, I have no clue. I I, I really could. You know, I'm I'm glad there's five dollars in the check account at the, yeah, end of, exact, at the end of the two weeks. Exactly. You know? <laughs> Once I pay all the bills and buy the food and you know put the gas in Got and five bucks left. All right, let's go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Woo, McDonald's here I come. You know, and I guess you know I'm looking at the fact that. It's the only thing they can agree on. The only thing that those two parties can agree on is how to keep everybody else out. It's the only time they come together <laughs> to is. actually to actually do something that's worthwhile. And you kind of think, gosh, if you guys just did that all the time, we wouldn't have to worry about. You know, you'd, you'd be more centric. You'd be more, you right. know, and, and, envisioning to the country versus trying to keep everyone else out. Who is right? And that's what really struck me about Gary Johnson is the fact that he can work both sides of the aisles. He, when he was governor in uh, New Mexico, he was a Republican governor in a blue state. And not only did he get elected once, but he got elected twice. And in that state, he now has a over 40% um, favorability rate um, as running for president. In one of the neighboring states, Utah, it's at 60%. So, you know, and, and, and I just had this discussion um, on Facebook that, well, he smokes pot. So what? He came out. He didn't hide it. I mean, he. This guy has been honest from day he one. He didn't do the I only puffed once. You right? Know? Yeah. He didn't do it. <laughs> I didn't inhale. You know, he came out and he said, "Yeah, I I do enjoy smoking marijuana." You know, and okay, good. So he likes to smoke weed. What's how is that any different? Actually, I think it's safer than him going. I really like to drink a lot and drive. Exactly. You know. Or, or pills or, you know, or some of the other things that yeah. other presidents have now come out to know and have as issues. Yeah. Right. And he's been honest about everything. They're like, he's like, you want to see what I make? Here you go. Here's my, <laughs> you want to know where I was born? Here's my birth certificate. You know, and everybody now, now, um, just recently Trump has come out and said, well, I, I don't want to release this, this, and this. And it's like, why? What, what are you doing that? What are you hiding? What are you hiding? Yeah. And I mean, it took forever for Clinton to get her stuff out. And it's that way with every presidential candidate, even ones I voted for. I mean, it's just the way it is. But the, what I like about Johnson is he worked across those, those, you know, those, those political lines when he was in New Mexico. He worked with both sides of the aisle. 
even as a even as a Republican, he worked with the Democrats. And now you put him in the White House as an independent, and he can talk to anybody. Exactly. And he can work through things and possibly actually hey, here's an idea. He could go to Washington and get shit done. There you go. Wouldn't that be nice for once? <laughs> I mean, honestly, what has really changed in our lifetimes about the way things are done and about what gets done? Not much. I mean, unless there's, you know, let's look at things like, okay, let's go back to 9-11 here for mm-hmm. a second. What happened after 9-11? Well, we got, you know, we got the the TSA. We got yep. the tighter security. Patriot uh, Act. The Patriot Act. These things that, well, it depends on which way you look at them. They can help or, yes. or hinder us. Um, but things that would have taken would never, months, they, years, centuries maybe yeah, to get they would the not, process. I don't think they would be in place no. yet today if 9-11 hadn't happened. I mean, they were approved within, what, two days, 48 hours? I mean, it yeah, was ridiculous it was, how qu- quickly things turned over. People were like, oh, it's called the Patriot Act. And, and, this, and let's vote yes. Yeah, okay. Vote yes. You know. <laughs> There were very few um, senators or um, congressmen that voted no. Why? Not not because I, I think it was because they were afraid that if they voted no, they would be looked at as not American. And some of the things in the Patriot Act <laughs> are very much not, not American. American. Yeah. If I recall, uh, it was Russ Feingold was the one in the Senate. If yeah, I recall correctly from the from, from the, the state original. of Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah, Russ Feingold was one. There there was a few other ones, but. Um, so, you know, it, it takes some act of, and I'm going to say act of God here as in a, as in a, just a huge disaster. I mean, um, Hurricane Katrina, the whole FEMA re, mm-hmm. revamp happened because of Hurricane Katrina. Had that not happened, would it have happened? Who knows? Probably not, yeah. You know, just recently, the stuff with the VA, the VA is getting cleaned out, getting, getting fixed, getting taken care of. But it didn't happen until after they realized, oh my God, all these veterans are dying for no reason. Exactly. And it's sad that it's taking these kind of things to get the revamp. You know, there's got to be somebody down there that's saying this isn't right, this isn't working. Right. But they're not getting listened to until all of a sudden we have this major catastrophe or major issue right, on that, that and gets, now they have to act. Right, because it gets out in the public, everybody mm-hmm. knows about it, and then, oh, oh my God, we, we got, you know... For lack of a better term, we got blood on our hands. We've yeah. got to do something about yeah. this. It's that reactive versus proactive idea that, that kills right. you every time. I mean, it and, really does. And for me, with Johnson, the thing I like about him is he's like, you know, our tax code. And this is just one of the things that really strikes with me. Our tax code is 70,000 pages long. You show me one person. I, I guarantee there's not one person in this world that has sat down and read all 70,000. Thousand pages Could of that. Could you imagine book. having to be that person? If you had to know everything in that, could you imagine the daunting task that would be to read? It would be impossible. Seventy thousand pages of have have not knowing what you know means. The number of books I've read in my life, <laughs> I would be surprised if I've hit seventy thousand pages. <laughs> and that was enjoyable stuff to read. <laughs> um, but anyway, so where I guess you know you know where I'm leaning now this mm-hmm. coming election where. Where do you lean? That, that's been my lean. My lean has been more and more towards Johnson as the as the whole process kind of comes out. Right. Um, you know, I, I like the idea of balance. I like, you know, maybe I'm still a little bit of a dreamer that we can actually have somebody out there that doesn't have to hold to just their political ideals. They can look at the country as a whole and go forward and say this is what's best for, for America and, and how we're going to move forward. Um whether he can get it, I don't know. That's where I get nervous. But, you know, it definitely is worth a try. Definitely worth a shot, in my opinion. Um, you know, if I was... If he can't get on that stage on Tuesday, I would sure be telling him to try to put money into an ad because I think he needs to run stuff on that. that yeah. Night. He, needs to, he needs to try to... If he could do live ads after every section and give his spot, I think that's what he really needs to do right now because you he's got to yeah. get his word out there. He's got to get his word out there. He could do a go live on Facebook. I mm-hmm. mean, he can do from one one podium somewhere else. Yep. He can be almost involved in this debate. Yep. You know, maybe that's what I would say as a, as a political advisor. I'd say, okay, so, you know, set it up where you have a live feed coming into the debate mm-hmm. and then respond to them. Right. You know, um, is it going to be a little chaotic? Yes. Yeah. But, you know, I think he's got to do something. I mean... Um, I think he's got to be bold. I think that's what people are going to start looking at. If he does something that's kind of out of the box and bold, I think it's going to make him stop and think, okay, wait a second. 
we actually might have a third candidate on our hands. We might have a possibility right. here. And, and the thing that really makes me mad about him not getting into this first debate is that polls everywhere, top 60 to 70% that say, let him on the stage. Right. You know, and now comes the real, here comes the real kicker is a couple of weeks ago, Donald Trump said he would not debate in this debate if Jill Stein and um, Gary Johnson were not on stage. Mm-hmm. So now does he hold to that? I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah. But what has he held to? I mean, let's let's be honest. Well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean. I mean, does he hold to that? Because if he holds to that, that would truly give that whole process, the the whole thing that Johnson has been going through and Stein, mm-hmm. um, validity yeah. to the American people. Is he going to no? Because he's the biggest flip flopper in the world. Um. He tells people, and I've seen you know clips from here and clips from there. He tells people exactly what they want to hear. Exactly. And what scares me about that is, you know, eight years ago, he was a he was a Democrat. Yeah. He he gave money to Bill. He gave money to Hillary. He gave money to Gore. He gave money to all these people that have been Democrats throughout the years. And now all of a sudden we're supposed to, as as conservative leaning people, which both you and I mm-hmm. are, we're supposed to go. Yay, Chief Jesus! Because because all of a sudden you said, "Oh, I'm a Republican," right. and nobody's asked the question. Nobody, and at least in anything I've heard, have asked the question: Why are you now a Republican versus a Democrat? And when did it happen? And how did it happen? And right, like, because well. anybody else, I you know, I've seen them ask the question to Gary Johnson. Mm-hmm. You were a Republican. Why are you now a Libertarian? And he says, because the Republican Party isn't going in the way that I think it should go. Therefore, I found somewhere else where I fit, where I can keep the Republican, the conservative ideals I have, and I can also work with people in a realistic way to, you know, bring the country back around to where it belongs. I mean, all parties change over time. Correct. Um, You know... Uh, John F. Kennedy was a Democrat, but by today's standard, he'd be a Republican. <laughs> there was there was a switch somewhere yeah. in the '60s where both sides just kind of not completely, but they kind of switched, yeah. you know. Um, so and and you know they always say, well, no third party candidate has ever been elected president. Just because it hasn't happened doesn't mean it, it can't. And but why is thing. it now Histor- a good time to try it? Historically, that's not true. That's true, too. Because Abraham Lincoln was elected as a Republican, which at the time was the third party. <laughs> that's very true. You know, his first term, Lincoln's first term, he was a Whig, yeah. which was one of the major parties. And then he became a Republican, which was a third party. Now, granted... He didn't exactly do it fresh. He had already been president for two or three years when he became a Republican. Right. So when he was reelected, it's not a true third party struggle, but it's been done. Yep. Can be done. Can be done. be done. I, yes. I agree. The, you know, there's a lot of countries where people go, like, oh, there's so many political parties. How the <laughs> hell are we supposed to? You know what? We need that. Yeah. We need a third, a fourth, a fifth party that isn't just this fringe thing. You know, I mean, they're all out there. I mean, we've got parties in this country from the Green Party, the Libertarians, the Socialists, the the Communists, the, the Constitutionists. Communi- yeah. The we've got them all, but they are they are forced to the sideline. Right they now, can't get, they can't get any ground. They, they, right. they have to go through these enormous hoops, these enormous requirements just to be even heard, which I think is a little ridiculous. You know, it is in a country that's founded on you know, political and religious freedom for us to go, no, 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 no. We'll just put you going under the carpet here for a while. Now, do I agree with all these groups? No. Would I ever vote for a communist or a socialist or or anything like that? No. But do they have the right to be heard? Yes. Yeah. That's, that's our bedrock principle kind of in America. Everyone exactly. has that right to be heard and, you know, that right to say what their opinion is and, you know, exactly. not, not to change everyone else's opinion just because of it. So. Right. You know, I have my opinions. Uh, Mike has his opinions. Cheeto Jesus has his opinions. We all have our opinions. Now, the thing and, and the right that we should have as Americans is to find people with similar opinions. 
there is no good reason that everybody should be forced to vote for these two people. I mean, sure, you know, Johnson will be on the ballot regardless of yes. whether or not he gets on the state. Um, Jill Stein will be on the ballots, I think, in 46 states or something like that. Yeah, something, something something like like that. that. Yeah. But who's going to vote for them? Right. Because they're lost in the shuffle. I mean, yes, you're going to get your hardcore people. You're going to get your people that say, you know, I knew Jill Stein when she was a little girl. Yeah. so, And they're going to get votes. But the percentage of what they need and what they're going to get is, and especially in a, in a world where most states are an all or nothing state. Yes. So you get either all the electoral votes or you get none of the electoral votes. You can go back to 2000 and have that debate about <laughs> electoral college versus popular vote too because there's a whole other there's right. a whole other political because issue right there. George Bush in his it was the second time around, Two, right? 2000, yeah. 2000 he won even though he didn't have the popular vote. Why? Because he won states that had more electoral votes in them. And the electoral college is something completely different that we could probably talk about for another hour. And how, at one time, it made sense, but today it really doesn't. In a in a world like we have now, popular vote is the way we should be it done. Should be. Yeah, um, we have the technology nowadays to actually keep up with that. We're right. not we're not talking about making horse carriage rides for you know sixteen hours on end to go and cast your vote. We're talking about hitting a couple of computer buttons and oh look, there's the numbers. Here we right. go. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there are polling places everywhere. I have less than a five minute drive to my polling yeah. place. You know, they're everywhere. Every district, every place has them. And the hours keep getting longer and longer because somebody's got a bitch about, oh, I wasn't able to get there. And, you know, in, in a world like this where, you know, everybody goes, well, my vote doesn't count anyway. And to a certain degree, to a certain degree okay. with the electrical, electrical, with the electoral <laughs> college, they're right. That kind of takes away that power. But if it were a ideal situation where it was a popular vote, you could easily make the argument that every vote, every do, vote, vote does count. Yep. So it is, it's, it's, it's amazing what, what that feeling could be like too, and, and where it could sit if that was how our country decided to go. And I think electoral college, I think kind of also favors that two party system a little bit because it's, it's kind of built on, on tradition and how they see things and perceive things and where they need to put funds and, you know, where they need to be competitive at, where if you kind of open it up, it, it causes them to stretch a little bit and maybe have to be competitive in markets they never had to even think about spending money in before. So. Right. And, and that's another thing is all these political people, they go to the, they, they first start their campaign in the big states, states where there's a lot of electrical, electoral, electrical, electric, <laughs> electoral college, votes. electoral college votes. Thank you. I wasn't coming up with it. <clears throat> and then from there, now they're into the phase where they go to the battleground states. So who gets screwed in this? Alaska. When was the last time a presidential campaign went to Alaska? <laughs> For their three electoral, electoral college votes? Probably never. <laughs> right. Hawaii. Um, you know, the small Rhode Island. I'm sure they get there because Montana. it's... Yeah. Anywhere where there's not a lot yeah. of of power from, those people, they never get to see the president except on TV. And, I don't know, to me, it's just, the system worked a hundred years ago because it was set up for a hundred years ago. It doesn't work today. Right. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I get so wound up in talking about this stuff, and, and this is why my wife will not talk politics with me. <laughs> <laughs> That probably saves a couple other things in your marriage, too, though. <laughs> yeah, could, be. <laughs> could very well be. Um, so anyway, um, so you said you were also leaning towards the uh, the Johnson side of it. Mm -hmm. What is it about Johnson is it that piques your interest? You know, I think, I think like you said, you know, he, he's got that history of of reaching across the aisle. He's got that history of compromise. I mean, our, our country was built on that, on that bedrock principle where you have to compromise. You can't get everything you want. Welcome to life. You, you gotta, you gotta do those things. And I think because you see it so often that he does it on a regular basis, it's not like it's going to be out of the norm for him to do it where, you know, the other two candidates can kind of say they did it. They can quote this one time that they did it, you know, 30 years ago. Great. Okay. But what have you done lately? You know, where's your, where's your history on that, that factor. And I think, that's one of the big things, because I think, you know, you look at all the big issues in our country right now, and 
and you have the two sides to everything. And a lot of times we just need to start coming to the middle because it just doesn't make sense that we have these polar opposites on every single issue that we talk about now. It's it, our country's getting destroyed because of it. I mean, really? Yeah. It's crumbling. Yeah. It's crumbling. And it's, so, um, you know, it's the whole, it, it, you can draw parallels to things such as the, you know, the, the, the novel, the rise and fall of the Roman empire. Mm-hmm. And we are definitely at this moment in, in my opinion, and it sounds like yours as well. We're in decline. Yeah. Now we are the longest standing, um, democracy in history because Rome was not a democracy. <laughs> no, it was not. <laughs> so we are not the lar- longest reigning civilization, but we are the longest reigning democracy in history. And that says something that obviously at some point we were doing it right. Correct. But like everything, there's decline. And what comes after the decline is what scares me mm-hmm. as both, you know, a, a parent and someday a grandparent, hopefully. And, you know, that's what scares me. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that the bedrock principles, the foundations were really strong. I think that's why we've been so successful, you know, over time. Um, because our, our founding fathers really did have a good idea when they when they well set some this of them up. did because if you read the history books when they went to George Washington to uh, to make him king <laughs> because they didn't know anything they else. didn't know they didn't know any better yeah that's right and he said no I if I if I wanted a king I we'd still answer <laughs> we'd still answer to George you know and uh, so. It's people like that that you can look at and go, okay, he had an idea. He had a great idea, and he was not affiliated with any political party. Correct. And he worked with everybody. You know, and and really, when you read about George Washington, he was kind of a jerk. Yeah. (laughs) He was kind of full of himself. He was kind of, he didn't like compromising with anybody, but he was able to pull himself out of that enough to start this country along with, you know, all the other founders and all the other guys, you know, uh, um, uh, Jefferson who wrote the, uh, the, the declaration of independence, these guys all worked together and started something that we now see in this year, you know, 2016 starting to decline. Is the United States going away in the next hundred years? Probably not. not. We'll both be dead before this goes away. Yeah, absolutely. But, is it can can you start seeing those telltale signs of decline? Yes, Absolutely. I think you can. Absolutely. So, so yeah. And the other thing about Washington was, you know, he's the one that set term limits very arbitrarily by not accepting a third, you know, right. term as president. He and understood. There, he understood that idea of not wanting a king, um, and what the effects were of right. that. And so. that's another thing I really like about Johnson is term limits. Mm-hmm. Term limits are needed in so many for so many different reasons. Uh, career politicians, they never happened up until the fifties. Yeah. You know, people were like, you know, okay, you want me to be your, your Senator. All right, I'll go do it for two years or I'll do it for four years. But then, you know what? I got a farm. I got to get out. I got to get out. I got to get, I got to get back to the farm. I got to take care of my wife and kids. And you know, it's great. You're paying me, but I'm, I'm a farmer. I'm not a politician. I mean, when I have term limits for being the officials chair for the state of Wisconsin, you would think the senator should have something like that. Right. You know, and you know my, and my it, position is very minimal. <laughs> right. And, and can you still have career politicians? Yes. But you only get so many terms in one position. So you could be, you know, let's say you could be a governor for six years. You could be a senator for eight years or whatever. I mean, you could still build a career yep. out of it. But you're not going to be in that same place holding that same power right? Um, as, you know, like these guys who have been in Congress for 40, 50 years. Well, and then you look at the, who's ever the pro tem of the Senate usually, and they're, you know, fourth in line, third in line for the presidency. And, you know, they're like the oldest guy sitting there. It's like, that kind of scares yeah. us too sometimes. They're not the, <laughs> they're not maybe the most, the most viable person to be taken over if something right. happens. And I think, and I think <laughs> another thing that needs to happen is... Are 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 the guys that run for you know for the president especially? We need to start this earlier. I mean, what are we looking at? Um, uh, Hillary's what in her late sixties? Yeah. Um, we've got uh, Donald Trump, who I believe is also in his late sixties. I want to say so. That seems about right. Yeah. Gary Johnson, who's in his early fifties. 
But I mean, let's let's be honest. You and I are old enough to be president. We are. But could we ever, even if we had been in politics our whole life, what are the chances we're going to get picked to be president? Very slim to none. <laughs> I mean, it's happened, as far as I can tell, once with yeah. JFK. Yeah. I mean, other than that, the presidents are always old. And I get that whole, well, you know, it looks, they look like yep. they're more wizened. They look like they know more. But really, the country is becoming a country of young people. The the baby boomers are starting to uh, to leave us, you know. Uh, my dad was a baby boomer. He's seventy years mm-hmm. old now. Um, you know, so and the baby boomers started before he was born. You know, yeah, exactly. So they're starting to leave us. They're they're you know, and we are becoming a country of young people. I mean, are there always going to be old people? Yes. Of course. Are there always going to be really young people? Yes, because that's just. Human, that's just the way humans work. But we need to get somebody younger in those higher places of of power that understand where the world is going mm-hmm. today. Um, you know, and we're going to start getting more old people longer because of, you know, advancements in yeah. medicine and, and, and whatnot. I mean, uh, personally, I'm a diabetic. I would have been dead when I was 16 <laughs> if it was 100 years ago, you know? So... Um, but you know, that's neither here nor there. It's just a matter of things need to change. I think in in my opinion, and there's a lot of things that need to change. And these are, I mean, we've touched on a few of them, but we have by no means hit everything that I personally think needs to change. Or I'm guessing that you personally, (laughs) I mean, we could go for two hours. We're not going to do that to you people because it's politics and, You know, I, I will say that I think JFK may have had something going for him that you and I don't have. You know, his looks may have played into that just a, a tad bit. I don't know about I. you, man, but I, <laughs> I am dead sexy. <laughs> for anybody that knows me, you you, you can laugh. It's all right. <laughs> all right. So, well, I want to thank you, Mike. Um, this has been interesting. It's been fun. Um, right now, we're going to talk about our guest next week. And that... Uh, her name is Nikki Tiemann. I'm going to have a woman on the show. I believe it's my first time I'm going to have a girl on the show. So I will try to watch my mouth because um, otherwise Nikki may slap it. <laughs> um, and as far as what she's going to talk about, I think she does a lot of like um, little projects. She, When we sit in game and stuff, she's working on something, some sort of, you know, either she's knitting or she's crocheting. or So I think... I think she's going to try to throw me for a loop and talk about that kind of stuff, but we'll find that out next week. Um, next up, uh, emails. Like I said, this is episode eight, and, and my goal was to have emails that I can read out by episode 10. That has not happened yet. So um, episode five just dropped um, earlier today, so go out and listen to that one. Um, and then uh, from there, you know, let's start getting the letters, bring them in, Tell me what I'm doing good. Tell me what I'm doing bad. Tell me, you know, don't ever have Mike on again because he knows too much about what he's talking about. Or, you know, whatever you want to tell us. <laughs> I just like to pick on Mike because it's, well, fun. And uh, we'll we'll go from there. Um, and again, like I said, I'm still looking for intro and outro music. So anybody that messes around, you will get credit for your work. Um, what I have for an intro right now just really doesn't seem, to me, doesn't fit the the feeling of the show. Um, even though I, I do thank Al for that, that is some of Al's music, um, from back in the day. So, um, but, uh, anyway, so let's move on then the, uh, quote of the week. And you all know how this works. I read a quote, uh, Mike over here has the lovely task of trying to figure out if he knows who said this. All right. So here we go. Quote of the week. I think your whole life shows in your face. And you should be proud of that. Wow. So any guesses? Any any thoughts? No, not really. It's a it's a it sounds so famous, I'm guessing. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah, I I'm always sure. I always use famous I'm people. Sure. And I always use them for a reason. Yeah. Um in this case that was Lauren Bacall. Do you know who Lauren Bacall was? I do not. She was an actress. Um she was an actress. She did a lot of um those 40 late 40s early 50s type okay. movies and she worked a lot you know with uh with uh oh god what was his name from the from the uh 
uh, from Casablanca, um, Humphrey Bogart, okay, and, yep. and guys like that. Um, and and the reason I picked her is uh, she passed away in 2014, but today would have been her 92nd birthday. Okay. So, all right. all right. So uh, that I guess in passing, I uh, thank you all for listening, and uh, we will talk to you again in a week. Have a good night. <laughs>